And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. It's straight out of Cobham, a show about Chelsea FC from The Athletic. Coming up, Eagles' wings clipped on multiple levels. Connor completes comeback. Oh, Myra, what a way to book a place in the FA Cup quarterfinals. And a winning weekend is topped off by the youngsters. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic. This is straight out of Cobham. And we're with you a day later than usual because, as you know, Chelsea played on Monday night. And as you know, they won 3-1 away from home for the second time in less than a week. Who'd have thought it? Hey, it's me, Matt. I'm joined today by the Athletics 2 Chelsea experts to talk all things Palace and a little bit more. Liam Toomey's with us. You okay, Liam? Get you an editor who times his holidays as well as Dom Fifield times his. <laughs> yeah, my note is Dominic Fifield has begun his rehabilitation programme. Um, Simon Johnson's also with us. You all right, Simon? Yeah, I've still got Bob Marley in my head. Don't know why. Same. Yes. And that leads us to premature adjudications, of which mine is maybe every little thing is going to be all right. Certainly felt like a significant night. I love Conor Gallagher saying how much he enjoyed that chant as well. Uh, Liam, have you got a premature adjudication for me? Conor Gallagher will never miss a shot again. <laughs> yeah, particularly when he's at Selhurst Park. Simon, let's have yours, please. Give him a contract, for goodness sake. Yeah, yeah, I think we can um, we can all get behind that message. Uh, let's get to it then. Crystal Palace 1, Chelsea 3. Now Caicedo and Sterling does very well indeed. Palmer... And Kunku is forward. Palmer lays it back to Gallagher. Chelsea may have stolen it at Selhurst Park. And it's Gallagher at the double, at the death. But for Conor Gallagher, quite the impact in this second half. A goal right at the start of the half. A goal right at the end of the game. It was amazing, um, brilliant to get the win, uh, first half weren't good enough, Palace uh, made it really tough for us but um, second half was 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 a lot better, uh, tactical change at half time uh, really helped us to create more chances and, and get the win so yeah we're buzzing. The energy in between the fans and, uh, and the team is, that is what we want to see and if we are capable to, to feel like this I think we can uh, win a lot of matches. And I actually wrote that in the dock for the show on Monday afternoon, which is 
soothsayery of me. Uh, back-to-back 3-1 away wins from home. This one markedly different to Aston Villa, uh, but the outcome's still the same. One change to the team, Badia Shield injured. So Silva comes in, then gets injured. Uh, let's start with that, Simon. He's got to be a big doubt for the Carabao Cup final now. Yeah, it almost feels like the story of Silva's career, of injuries and how it costs him in big games. But yeah, it doesn't look good. And to pick up such an injury so close to the to the final, it's going to take some... It's going to have to be very, very minor. I mean, I asked Pochettino about it. He, he, said, he said that it would be tested today, find out more today. But, you know, growing problems. As we've seen, Baddy Shield, he's been ruled out for a few weeks. So I expect Silva, especially at his age as well, it's, it's going to be difficult. And he did look crestfallen. The manner in which he sustained the injury as well, it was an instant wave to the bench. Like he knew something had gone, so it, it's not looking good. And you have to feel a lot of sympathy for him because you know, I'm sure he'd have looked forward to playing perhaps one last final at Wembley. Yeah, Chelsea's medical department uh, on tenterhooks last night, just refreshing Bell Silver's Twitter feed, I'm sure. Um, Liam, before we get to the game then, I, I don't know about you, I was a bit surprised to see Levi Colwell come off the bench because we thought he was going to be out for a little bit longer. Trev Chalaber there as well. I guess it would be Colwell alongside Dizazi then at, at Wembley. Yeah, it looks like it, unless Colwell has a setback of his own in the in the coming days. It seems to be the way of things, but... Um... Yeah, it, suddenly Chelsea have gone from being able to field four centre-backs at the same time to maybe not having enough to get through a final against a formidable Liverpool attack. I thought Colwell did pretty well when he came on and it allowed Chelsea to return to a little bit more of the style that they played against Villa. Also, the state of the game allowed them to do that in the second half because once they were ahead, Palace had to come at them and things opened up a lot. But yeah, let, let, let's hope that Colwell could stay fit now. It was also really good to see Trevor Chalaber back in the squad because he, he's been out for a long, long time. I think there were lots of conspiracy theories that he'd just been bombed out. But no, he has had a pretty significant injury. And Pochettino made a point a couple of weeks ago of saying he's really close and when he's ready, he will be involved again. So I can expect him to be back in amongst it now and in contention for minutes. Yeah, we'll see if he gets some at City on Saturday. Uh, let's appease fans of chronology and go back to the start of the game then. Simon, you were on hand for this one for The Athletic. What on earth was the reason for that dreadful first half performance? Well, what I would say is they were playing against their kryptonite you know that we've seen this so many times before. The the this style of play they they don't know how to handle. Villa played, uh, they came onto them, and that left space for Chelsea to exploit. Crystal Palace just went right, go on then, break us down. And unfortunately, Chelsea then resorted back to their awful slow, 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 slow sideways, sideways, sideways passing. But it it was incredible to just watch their unwillingness to have a shot, though. They ended up breaking a record of the most passes without a shot on target in one half of football. 420! And they almost went the full half without a shot at all. Conor Gallagher just scuffed one wide in injury time. But watching it, I mean, my Crystal Palace colleague, Matt Woosnam, not the first colleague that said this kind of thing to me this season. He said, this is the worst Chelsea team I've seen here for years. <laughs> and I just went, yeah, join the queue. 
I've had this kind of chat many times before. Of course, he, he would go on to eat his words in the second half. But my one sort of, it sounds a bit like Captain Hindsight, but the sort of Gallagher, Palmer, Jackson on the left, Madweki on the right, that worked at Villa, but you did worry a little bit whether against a very defensive team, whether that, that system would have the same impact. And it just felt like Palmer wasn't getting on the ball. Madweki almost sums up Chelsea in some ways, you know, blows hot and cold. And it, yeah, it was just abject. But I, I sort of think a combination of Michael Oliver's technical difficulties and the Crystal Palace DJ playing Bob Marley turned it all around. Plus Nkunku, yeah, sort of actually from a genuine tactical point of view, <laughs> introducing Nkunku gave Palace, although he didn't actually have much of an impact himself personally on the ball. But I think just his presence gave Crystal Palace something more to worry about and the fact that uh, Nicholas Jackson was also there alongside him. Yeah, and it certainly freed up Palmer a bit in the second half. Um, just on the goal, Liam, should it have stood? Was Madweke just a bit too weak and, and Caicedo too? It wasn't wasn't a great goal to concede. No, it was it was an awful goal to concede. I think um, Madweke needs to protect the ball better and it kind of summed up his first half, as Simon alluded to. After a game against Villa in which he barely did anything wrong and carried a threat throughout, I don't think he could really do much right against Palace. He tried to be direct when he had the ball, but his 1v1 efforts didn't really go anywhere. There was no end product. And I think he contributed to the slowness of Chelsea's play, along with the other attackers. I think they were responsible for it as well, with the lack of movement ahead of the ball. There were two parts to that, really. There was the lack of movement ahead of the ball, and then there was the slow speed at which the centre-backs made decisions with their passing. And that's been a theme, actually, of Thiago Silva's career. Sorry to come back to Thiago Silva, but I'll just mention in passing, it's not just about his mobility when he's when people are running at him. It's also about the speed at which he moves the ball on that can that can cause problems for Chelsea in possession. But yeah, Madueki was the logical sub at halftime. And I thought, as Simon said, while Nkunku didn't end up scoring, having a direct impact he immediately injected some more imaginative movement between the lines for Chelsea and ha- the combination of having him on the pitch and then moving Palmer away from the number nine position where he had even more license to move between the lines. I think having both of those two players to worry about and the fullbacks bombing on gave Palace real problems and it, and it, it wasn't a surprise to me that Chelsea scored so quickly after half time. The biggest surprise was that they they kind of let Palace off the hook twice, once at the start of the game and then once after they'd equalised. I thought they were going to blow them away because Palace looked like they were they were ready to go and then somehow they survived until the last few minutes. The only thing I'll, I'll quickly add, in terms of the first half, there were quite a few times where I could see um, players making a run in behind and no pass was forthcoming. Um, it was almost like the players who had possession either didn't spot the run or, or were sort of too scared to to take a chance and play over the top. And as for the Palace goal, it also looked like everyone stopped assuming that the referee was going to blow for a free kick. I don't know why, because it wasn't a foul. But that sort of split second kind of waiting for a whistle to come, 
just sort of gave, and I, I include Petrovic in this. I, I just think gave everyone um, gave Lerner that that sort of time he needed to take the shot on. And and I mean, what you would say is it was a terrible goal from Chelsea's point of view, but it was a good strike. He did take advantage of it, and uh, but uh, yeah, add that to Chelsea's collection of um, uh, contributing to their own downfall. Liam, Petr Cech's been getting a lot of praise for his uh, analysis of, of everything Chelsea on, on Monday night football. And um, at halftime, he was analysing Petrovic's role in the goal. Yeah, I thought Cech was Chelsea's most impressive performer of the first half in the way that he assessed performance. And in particular, the the insight that he gave into not even what Petrovic necessarily did wrong, but the two differing schools of thought in the goalkeeping community about how you go about saving shots. I thought that was really, really interesting. And goalkeeping is such a specialism that I think most fans, when they talk about goalkeepers and me, I'm also keenly aware when I try and analyse them, I don't really know what I'm talking about. That's why I always have to ask specialists and people who've been goalkeepers and check in the studio, in the Sky studio at halftime was talking about how him as a goalkeeper, his style, the way he was taught and the way he preferred was to step out a bit further from his line, regardless of where the shooter was, whether they were closer in or even from long range shots, he would be a little bit further off his line because while you lose a bit of reaction time, you narrow the target for the player to hit in that your your hand has less space to cover to be able to get a hand on the shot. And he was analysing the the Jefferson Lerma shot and and thought that if Petrovic had been a step or two forward, because of Petrovic's good size and wingspan, he would have been able to, to maybe get some fingertips to the ball, despite his having a split second less reaction time and maybe tip it high or wide. Whereas... If you actually look at the goal, it doesn't go right in the top corner, but despite getting a really good jump and full extension, Petrovic can't quite reach it. So I thought that was really interesting from Czech. And it wasn't necessarily saying that Petrovic had made a mistake. That's obviously the way he's been taught to save shots. And Petrovic has made some really good saves for Chelsea this year by retreating more to his line and backing his reflexes. But there are... Uh, there is another school of thought that says a more aggressive style of goalkeeping can help you save shots you would otherwise miss with that approach. Fourteenth mm. consecutive start for Petrovic. He just seemed to be growing into the shirt, even if he could have done a bit better with that one. Uh, so that's the first half. Simon, <laughs> talk us through the um, the referee equipment failure from inside the ground because it was a long old delay to the start of the second half. As you mentioned, the answer was Bob Marley, but. What sort of information were you fed? Because on TV, basically, Michael Oliver goes down the tunnel with a chap who's trying to fix it and a steward stands in the way so we can't see what's going on. Was there any kind of communication as to, to why the second half was delayed? No, no, well, not that I was aware of. I mean, partly because I, um, admittedly, I was making the most of the time to type up one of my topics for the live piece. But what was what was somewhat amusing is that that Pochettino clearly sent the Chelsea players out early, probably having given them quite a talking to for that dismal first half showing. And I made the joke, oh, will they even have a shot now with no Palace player to get in the way? But then they ended up sort of having to kill all this time. And you could feel the impatience in the stadium. 
luckily us in the press, we, we have the monitors. So we were able to see that it was obviously something going on with Michael Oliver and you know Ben Chilwell went over there to see what on earth was going on. And then the Crystal Palace DJ decided to sort of ease the tension by playing Bob Marley's Three Little Birds. And it worked. It's like that. suddenly it became kind of a jovial atmosphere. Like the Crystal Palace fans started singing along and the Chelsea fans started singing along. And um, yeah, it's almost like a calming influence was brought about by the choice of a stadium DJ and, and the tension out of the moment went and it's almost like the tension and the Chelsea away end went as well. Suddenly they were just there to have a good time. Helped that Conor Gallagher scored within what 80 seconds of the restart. But it was like, oh, right, the Chelsea fan base are sort of, this almost feels like the new song of the new, the new consortium. Almost like Life of Brian, always look on the bright side of life is sort of mantra. And it, and it worked. It took me back to the last 16 of the Champions League game against Napoli at Stamford Bridge when the, the Chelsea DJ also played Bob Marley after full time and ahead of the start of extra time. Of course, it was level and aggregate. And uh, it worked out all right on that night too. So perhaps, um, perhaps we're on to something. Yeah, I think it's going to be a fixture by the sounds of things. Um, so second half then, Conor Gallagher with two goals, one straight from kickoff. He's now scored six for Chelsea. Three of them have been at Selhurst Park. And so therefore, Liam, the calls for a new contract for this occasional Chelsea captain and academy graduate grow even louder. Do we think this is likely to have any influence on, on whether Chelsea decide to, to do that and try and keep him? Or, or are we still thinking that the most likely thing is they cash in in the summer? I don't think any options are closed. I think that's important to say. I mean, this has been heading in one direction by virtue of the fact that there there haven't been serious conversations to this point about giving Gallagher a new contract. And on the contrary, in the last two, three windows, well, certainly the the two before January, I think all parties accepted there wasn't really going to be any movement in January one way or the other. Chelsea have been open to selling him, certainly for the right price. I think, and we have got this impression from people at the club in the last couple of months, the way he's performed this season has shifted the dial a bit in terms of how he's regarded. I think there were serious questions heading into this season about whether he was good enough technically to be a long-term fixture of this team, particularly with the investment they'd made in that area of the pitch elsewhere. But he's gone up a level and now in the last couple of weeks, finally, it's been a bit freakish, the fact that it's taken so long, but he's he's starting to add the goals that he's had at his previous stops as well, uh, his previous loan clubs. And if he can start, you know, contributing a, a, a semi-regular stream of goals from these runs into the box then suddenly his his value grows massively. And the the thing is, as his value to Chelsea grows, his appeal to other clubs grow, and also his leverage in terms of salary demands and, and all this sort of thing grows as well. So it is a, I think it's an ever-shifting conversation. There's no doubt he's he's done everything that he can this season and in the last few weeks to put the ball in Chelsea's court now. 
you know, he, he couldn't be playing better than he is, I don't think. He's only going to have good options in the summer. If if he does leave Chelsea, it will be to a club of his choosing because he'll have one year left. And I think there will be good clubs who will want him, given how well he's played. But he do, everything we've heard is he wants to stay at Chelsea. So it's on Chelsea now. How much do they do they value him? How much do they respect what he's done this season? And how important do they think he can be? Uh, he's a big fan of Three Little Birds, he told Chelsea after the game. I loved it. Honestly, I thought it was brilliant. I was singing it as well in my head. Absolute tune. Hopefully that can be our little song going forward. If anything drives Conor Gallagher out of Chelsea, it might be that impression. <laughs> oh, I, I, I thought that was the audio. Uh, all right. I'll, I'll... I thought that was him. Wow. Amazing. Somebody I'm not going to try and do an impression of, um, mainly because I don't think I've ever heard him talk, is Malo Gusto. Simon, he was the, the focus of your piece. We've been, not we, but everybody, a Chelsea Collective, have been talking in recent weeks about, oh, well, Cole Palmer's clearly the standout signing of all the new additions. And, and you know, maybe some people would say the only one that's really worked, but we've got to put Gusto into that category as well, right? He was he was excellent, particularly second half last night. Yeah, I mean, I yeah, I, I make that point in the piece, but I kind of really go in on the the Reese James scenario that so many times it's felt like Reese James has been rushed back because Chelsea miss him so much and you will always miss a player like Reese James but Malo Gusto is making that feel well you're not missing Reese James as much as perhaps Chelsea have done in the past He's playing at a very high level. Okay, there are going to be some down games in there. The, the Wolves won earlier this month. was not his best performance. But at Villa Park and now at Sellers Park, he, he's, he's really delivered. And what what he's delivering on, he's really adding what Rhys James does, which is an attacking element to his game. I think it's coming on very strongly. His delivery, I mean, he provided 11 crosses Last night, it was a, even in the first half when Chelsea were dire. He was the one that was really giving Chelsea width, and and you could see his teammates looking for him on on regular occasions. There's 132, I think, touches of the ball. Um, he was he gave Crystal Palace an absolute workload of defending to worry about. Funnily enough, he was up against one of the players up against was Fainter, who Chelsea were thinking of buying last summer to loan Strasbourg. And Franca was not really helping out Mitchell at all with Gusto. But I've been pretty impressed with him. He's only, I think he turns 21 in May. Chelsea paid an initial 26.3 million for him. I think that's looking an absolute bargain. And well, it does also throw open to debate. We talk about Conor Gallagher, you know, will Chelsea listen to bids for Conor Gallagher? I didn't put this in the piece, but I don't think there's any player that isn't for sale at Chelsea and, and you know maybe if uh, someone makes a big bid for Reese James the fact they've got Gusto now will give them a decision to make uh, there as well. Mm, interesting. Um, I don't think Cole Palmer's going to be being sold anytime soon. Uh, Simon was part of the mix zone that got to speak to him after the match. Let's hear a little bit of that now. Yeah the manager helps us all every day like little conversations telling us what to do like he's our he's, he supports us massively so credit to the manager to keep us together you're thriving under him as well aren't you you know you're getting a big role in team to assist today how has he been for you and sort of getting you these sort of numbers you're picking up yeah. no, it's been amazing from the first day 
from when he first when I first come in and put his arm around me and just like, give me the freedom and the confidence to go out there and play. So yeah, enjoy. Okay, was it Cole that the day before you went to Aston Villa? He's gathered you all together and said, I, I believe in you, I trust in you, when, when he's under a lot of pressure himself. No, yeah, we do have meetings and he, he believes in us and we believe in ourselves. But, yeah, you know, everyone's going to talk if you're not doing well, but we just need to try and block it out and focus on ourselves. Chelsea v Man City was a fantastic game earlier on in the season, 4 all. We've got to go to Man City next. Do you fancy another tear-up? Do you fancy another eight-goal feast? It'll be a tough game, won't it? But yeah. Yeah, I'm looking forward to going back to the Etihad. It will be, will be strange, it will be weird feeling, but one I'm looking forward to and the team's looking forward to. Uh, in terms of other individuals to praise, Liam, I wonder if we should do so to Maurizio Pochettino, because it wasn't long ago, specifically the pod after Wolves, that we were seriously questioning his future. Since then, he's made effective pre- and mid-game changes, which was a big criticism of him. Uh, does he deserve some credit for what he's done over the last couple of games? I think he certainly does for the team selection at Villa. You know, I wrote that was maybe his most cohesive selection from back to front all season. Um, part of that was circumstances allowed him to pick that team, but he still had to pick that team. And I know that we we sat here a week ago and said, oh, these players should probably continue to start against Palace after that performance. I think there was a strong argument from a man management point of view to establish that precedent that these guys keep their places. He was forced into one change with Thiago Silva, which did changed the team quite a lot in terms of the way they played from with Badia Shield coming out. But maybe, maybe in hindsight, there could have been slightly more recognition from the start of how differently Palace would approach the game to the way Villa did. Because when you're facing a Roy Hodgson low block and Palace were, were always going to play this way, particularly without Eze and Elise, they were always going to show even less attacking ambition than they did at Stamford Bridge a few weeks ago. Maybe you could have had Nkunku in from the start with Palmer just to get as much creativity on the pitch as possible. But he gave those players a chance to to show themselves in that first half. They didn't. They didn't really adapt to the challenge at all. They fell into the trap of of letting the game slow right down and carrying no threat. And he rectified it. You know, I think that that was the change that was called for at half time and Kunku on for Madueki. It had the desired effect within a minute. And I think you you know, that th- this team does show that they they want to fight. They're not always the most resilient bunch, but I think there there is a desire to to do well on most days. I think they can get down on themselves, but they did show at Palace a desire to put things right. And I think you have to credit Pochettino for that as well, because he is building and maintaining that that kind of feeling within the squad. Yeah, and I, and I think Palmer, like in the in the post match chat, is probably the biggest message that he he conveys is is the support from Pochettino. It feels like Pochettino's greatest strength is the sort of the chats that he has with the squad, and that chat that you hear he had on the day before the, the game at Villa Park, where he really reiterated his belief in the players. It does seem to have generated a bit of a response from them. 
that was only the fourth time they've come from behind to to win a game this season. I think that's a a huge thing for their self-belief, especially ahead of two incredibly difficult games that are coming up at, at Man City and then Liverpool in the Carabao Cup final. But we also got to see celebration of the season. I, I, I think um, Axel de Sassi has <laughs> taken it to a whole new level. I've never seen that before. So talk us through it, because Lucy's just put in the document uh, in bold, we need to shout out Dizazi for crowd surfing. So let, let's give it the full treatment. Well, <laughs> I mean, Gallagher's, so it's his second goal. So essentially the winner. I, I know Fernandez, Fernandez obviously goes on to get a third, but Gallagher's pretty passionate as he goes over to the away end. But suddenly Dizazi hurdles the, um, the hoarding, the advertising hoarding, and is in with the crowd and then instantly decides to, well, it's like a stage dive, but not from the stage, isn't it? And then he's he, he's about six or seven rows back. I mean, he got a booking for it, <laughs> it's, which was, uh, you know, I suppose it's within the, you know, it, that, that's the rules, but oh, come on, Michael Oliver, enjoy the moment. And, um, and yeah, it was, it was great. And, and I think it was also a good, another good little bonding moment between fans Look, we can't go overboard, but there's something growing a little bit between this new generation and and some of the fans. Hasten to add that for the third goal, my friend Nicholas Jackson. I will be asking Mauricio Pochettino about Nicholas Jackson again. It's become my my topic. <laughs> I only asked Pochettino recently. Oh, he's on eight yellow cards. Have you had a chat with him? Because he's two yellows away from from a two-game ban. Yes, we've had a chat. He goes, it's fine getting a yellow card for, you know, things can happen, you know, like a, a tackle or whatever, but just don't do anything silly. Yeah. <laughs> You've been subbed and you're joining a goal celebration. You run across the pitch past Michael Oliver. I, I think that ranks in the silly twat. But at the same time, I, I think, yeah, it shows that he cares, doesn't it? But he, he just doesn't, it also shows he doesn't think the PGMOL conspiracy is laid bare. They don't want this Chelsea team to build a connection with their fans. <laughs> that's that's what it is. Um, can I just say, on the weekend where we saw maybe the most ludicrous non-celebration against the former club ever from Declan Rice after he took an unnecessary 25-yard shot when his team were 5-0 up and then acted, oh, I'm really sorry, I'm really sorry that happened. It was really refreshing to uh, see the emotion in Conor Gallagher when he got the first, well, both of his two goals, but certainly the second one, which put Chelsea ahead for good. I know he was only at Palace on loan, but we've seen plenty of non-celebrations against loan clubs. And I know he scored against Palace before and celebrated, but it was just nice in that moment to see organic emotion rather than feigned respect for the celebration police. And also the only other thing I wanted to flag was I love the fact that for his goal, Enzo, I mean, he should have passed to Nkunku. That was the right thing to do. But instead he did something far more entertaining, which was he he made the Palace defender basically get into a wall and and create a situation which was a tribute to his Aston Villa free kick where he could just dink it into the top corner. I appreciate that. I don't know how many other people noticed, but I, I see you, Enzo. 
Oh, I liked it. It was like he he sent him for a hot dog and then he sent him back again to go and get the ketchup. It was quite embarrassing for, for poor old Munoz. Uh, anyway, nice easy one next for the men. They go to the oh, they go to the Etihad on Saturday. Never mind, we'll build up to that one on Thursday. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Lance's cross. Ramirez, what a goal. Myra Ramirez opens her Chelsea account in style. And the Blues finally make the breakthrough. What a way to do it. Oh, this is absolutely brilliant from the Colombian. Elsewhere, the women's team got the memo about beating Crystal Palace, although Emma Hayes' side made hard work of it. The Blues beat the Eagles by a goal to nil at Kings Meadow on Sunday to book their place in the last day of the FA Cup and keep alive their hopes of winning the trophy for their fourth season in succession. Uh, Simon, that Myra Ramirez goal, it took until the 81st minute to come. It was worth the wait, I would suggest. Oh, the, I love a back heel flick kind of finish. But th- this was this was even sort of... The fact he wasn't just on the ground, the ball went... It, it, it was just top draw. And you, you, just, you just wonder, like, Chelsea's rivals are sort of... Oh, Sam Kerr, out for the season. Yay, right, weakness. And then they see a clip of that goal and just go, oh, <laughs> oh right, okay. They've they've gone and signed someone that's also top quality. I mean that that's the difference maker, isn't it? That's why you pay the money for these players, and um, yeah, it it shows how much confidence she has to pull off a finish like that. Yeah, um, I commentated on this one. It was not a good game. And, and part of the reason that Chelsea struggled was because Lauren James pulled up in the warm-up and Chelsea really missed her creativity. They had 13 shots, but only three of them on target. 76% possession in this game, which was played before a really good atmosphere, actually. Palace brought a big mob of away fans, uh, which helped. Well, Chelsea had been drawn away to Everton in the quarterfinals. They were the last team to beat Chelsea in the FA Cup. That was at the same stage back in 2020. Uh, the next game for the girls is gigantic as they host Manchester City in the WSL. We'll have Jesse with us to talk through that one on Thursday. Elsewhere in Chelsea news, has been a great week for the academy sides. On Thursday, the under-18s booked their place in the quarterfinals of the FA Youth Cup. They won 2-1 at, you've guessed it, Crystal Palace. Jimmy J. Morgan and Tyreek George got the goals there. And meanwhile, the under-21s won 2-0 at West Ham on Friday night, thanks to a great goal from Ronnie Stutter against his old club and a late Leo Castledine penalty. Mark Robinson's team play at Stamford Bridge for the first time in nearly two years on Thursday night. They take on PSV Eindhoven 
in the quarterfinals of the Premier League International Cup. Be a really good game, that one. PSV are an excellent team. I've seen them this season. They play in a men's league and that's going to be a big test for Chelsea. If you can't get down to the bridge, you can watch it live on the Chelsea app with me. It's a seven o'clock kickoff time here in the UK. All right, before we go, Simon, tell us a bit more about this Malo Gusto piece and the briefing, please, so that we can uh, get people reading your work. Yeah, so uh, really hammering home this point about Malo Gusto being uh, one of Chelsea's best signings of the, of the new era. So, um, yeah, definitely definitely give that a read. And then the live piece, because we, we now do live pieces for every every Chelsea game. I focused on, on three things. Conor Gallagher, shock. Tiago Silva, shock, and that stat I mentioned earlier, the the 420 passes without a shot on target. It's basically the first time since this stat was recorded, yeah, that this this landmark has been reached. So I wonder if Chelsea can get a trophy for that. That'll be uh, that'll be something to celebrate the season with. But it was a nice tribute to late Arsene Wenger era Arsenal. Um, Liam, meanwhile, you have been writing about something which a lot of people have been getting in touch with us about wanting to know, and that is the status of Chelsea's two, yes, two sporting directors. Tell us a bit more about that piece, please. Yeah, basically every time Chelsea lose or have a half like we saw against Crystal Palace, I'm sure Simon's similar. I, I start to get messages and comments from our subscribers and from Chelsea fans on, on social media. Is he saying, when are Win Stanley and Stewart going to come under scrutiny for, you know, all these signings that look rubbish and aren't working and stuff. So I wanted to do a piece looking at actually how much are they responsible for? Because they've only been co-sporting directors for two transfer windows, the two most recent ones, one in which Chelsea didn't buy or sell a single player. It was all loans. So a lot of the time when people get frustrated with Chelsea signings, the signings they're getting frustrated uh, were actually made before this current structure was in place, which is a concern of its own, I guess, uh, that you might have with Chelsea's current direction that they spent about £700 million before finalising their sporting structure. But it wasn't the piece wasn't intended as like a sort of blanket defence of Win Stanley Stewart. It was just trying to assess what they've done, what they're responsible for, what they're not responsible for, and also clarifying that there is no sense from within Chelsea that we have been given that either of them are in danger of losing their jobs anytime soon. You know, this squad was assembled with a long view in mind, maybe not with a view to this much short-term pain, but certainly with a long view in mind and... I think both of them will be judged over a, over a longer period of, and not just on signings. Incidentally, I mean, you know, they're they're trying to add to the medical department to address the injury issues. It, it will be about all aspects of the sporting operation, how successful loans are. So there there will be a lot that goes into their evaluation, and of course, if they ever have to replace Pochettino at any point, um, you know that would be a huge decision to get right. They're currently feeding into the process to find Emma Hayes' successor as well, which is a, a massive, massive undertaking of its own. Yeah, and just quickly to back up what, what Liam said and, and written, the impression that I was getting ahead of the piece that me and Liam did last week. Was it last week? 
whatever, whenever it was, <laughs> about the state of the club. The impression was, is, is Chelsea really happy with with everything off the pitch now? It's about just getting it right on the pitch. And if anything, they're actually going to make more hires to work under when Stanley and Stewart. So there is, whilst they, they want Chelsea to be higher up in the league, understandably, and getting more wins, there's no sense of recriminations and inquests of what's going wrong off the pitch. If anything, they, they, they sort of feel like they're now putting the structure in place and, and actually going to improve it. So now whether Chelsea fans agree with that sentiment is another thing entirely, but of course the ones making the decisions are the, are the ones that matter most in, in this regard. And, and they uh, you get the impression that they're quite happy with the way things are going. Mm. Well, back to 10th, which is a familiar and comforting place to be, I guess. 10th place champions. <laughs> Athletic.com slash Chelsea pod, the place to go to sign up to read all of Liam and Simon's fine Chelsea writing. If you aren't currently a subscriber, you can follow us on social media at SO Cobham pod and leave us a nice review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your pods that helps other Chelsea fans find the show. We'll be back with another one on Thursday when we'll build up to the big double header against Manchester City and more. Join us for that if you can. Until then, thanks to Liam, to Simon, to Lucy and to you. Bye for now. The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.